You're listening to the Watling and Owen Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Watling and Owens podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple Podcast, not Google Play. Don't think we're on Google Play because you know we're we're Apple. No, we are on Google Play because I showed my dad. I think how to find it. So wow. we are in fact on Google Play. A lot to get to in terms of the sports this past week. And, and Luke, I think and it's a little unfair all, that we canceled the show last week after I completely dominated the picks. And now the only thing we have left to talk about in terms of picks is the fact that I embarrassed myself like an idiot this past week, going one and five. Well, we both did. You know, you beat me last week. The picks beat us this week. So I, I think I finished one and five as well. I'd have to go back on the numbers. We need to stay away from the LA teams. You had the Chargers. I had the Rams. Both just embarrassing efforts. You know, I thought... Maybe the Rams were good, but clearly they're not. We'll get into that later on in the show with odd men. A glorious odd man, if I might add. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a rough week once again. But we're back to the grind this week. I, I have a good feeling this week, Matt. I feel like the signs are, are pointing towards me. I haven't looked at the board at all. That's a, the Thursday thing. But I, I'm feeling good for this week. The bright side, of course, being, you know, I'm five games above 500. You're, I think, six games now above 500. So we're still making the people money. That's all that matters. That, that's all that matters. Just but significantly less money than before. Yes. Speaking of money, though, Luke, how about Max Scherzer Ooh. making some money? Ends up signing. I don't think it's quite official yet, but all signs are pointing to it. Three years, $130 million. Uh, he, the Mets got him, right? Steve Cohen went out there, put his money where his mouth is. He spent some ridiculous money on a new kind of painting that he's got, right? You know, he's a big painting and art guy. So now he's got a, an illustrious artist himself, Max Scherzer. You know, painting corners with the with his hands, with the paint with the uh, baseballs instead of painting tarps with a brush. So we we what got the uh, we got the analogy right here eventually. That's all that matters. This is a great signing. You know, everything the Mets okay. have done this off season, I don't have an issue with. It's only money. This guy has tons of money, and something that's nice is these are all short contracts, relatively speaking. Right, the longest being Starling Marte's four year deal. And sure that last year when he's 37 might not look that great, but it's only one year. And you can and you can still spend around that. It's not like you're signing him to a 10-year deal like the you know Yankees had with Garrett Cole, where he gets a, a large number and a lot of years. It's a lot it's a high AAV, but it's short term that helps you win now and still offers you some flexibility in the future. Yeah, and the good news for the Mets is they're a team that really were only, you know, a few pieces away. And I'm not saying that the roster they now have is is World Series, you know or bust yet, you know, it's not like we're going to talk about them in that category, but they're certainly on the right track. And I think Max Scherzer was such a good signing for the Mets, and it kind of turned into this whole drama that unfolded overnight. And, you know, the question was, is he going to actually come to the Mets? Is it going to be a Bauer situation where he, he spites him at the last minute? Well, Steve Cohen will not be denied this time. I mean, he really shelled out for Max Scherzer, and I love this move for the Mets. I mean, how insane is it to have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer at the top of your rotation? You know, granted, you have to hope that DeGrom is fully ready to go for next year. You have to hope that Scherzer is good to go after missing that last start in the uh, NLCS. But he seems like he's okay. I mean, he seems like he, uh, from all accounts, the medicals went well for the Mets. They were obviously willing to give him this contract. And I think it shows that Steve Cohen's here to play. Like, he, he is here to spend his money. He's here to make the Mets into a winner. And I don't know how you can't be excited right now if you're a Mets fan because they are in a great position. I love the way they've kind of started to round out their roster. I think Kana and uh, Marte in the outfield, plus the versatility of Escobar in the infield. I mean, this is a really nice-looking roster right now. 
granted some holes still, you know, in the bullpen, you got to round out your rotation, but just imagining DeGrom and Scherzer in a rotation for a playoff series is just a complete nightmare. They might expand the playoffs. The Mets might have an easy path in there anyways. And I just love this move for the Mets. I really like it. Um, I, I kind of glance over the Scherzer signings because it, it, it is the sexy deal, right? It is the Garrett Cole-esque signing for this team, but there's nothing wrong with it. Like, there are no issues with this contract. With Garrett Cole, you could say, look, it's a little too long. This one, you got three years with him, and you know he's going to be good this coming year. You expect him to be as good the following year, and maybe that third year is too much, which I believe he has an opt-out after two years. Anyway, so from, from Scherzer's standpoint, he thinks he can play for another, you know, three years and then some. Because you have that opt-out to try to get an extra couple-year contract you know, at a similar or higher AAV. I love the contract a lot. I think it's super smart. I think what the Mets did is they overpaid a little bit for all three guys. You know, Marte gets $78 million over four years. But you're also not giving them six-year contracts, seven-year contracts. They're short deals that keep you flexible for the future. But also, you sign some nice pieces. Uh, it's really a completely new-look outfield when you bring in Marte and, and Kana, as you mentioned, Luke. You end up having Nimmo in left, Starling Marte in center, and Kana in right. Uh, I like the signings. I think they're smart pieces. One player that they didn't end up signing or bringing back is Javier Baez. He ends up going to Detroit for six years at 140, and I don't mind it. I was never a big Javi Baez fan. I get it. He, He got hot in the last month of the season when the season was over, but... I really didn't like his attitude and, and say what you want, you know, booing the fans to me. And it's a stupid thing to bring up. It's just, it's disrespectful. And I get it. Like players can do what they want. Just like fans can, but I just, I didn't like that. And from all signs, the locker room wasn't the best for the Mets. And now they're bringing guys that are going to fix that where you don't have Lindor and Baez booing the fans, which is the most ridiculous thing ever. Now you have guys that know kind of how to act and, and, you know, Scherzer knows how to act in a big city. He won it in the biggest state in, you know, the World Series. He played in L.A. New York's not going to be a big difference for him. No, not at all. And he's pitched very well at City Field. Not to mention, I mean, you almost it, it's almost like the Tom Brady of the MLB when you talk about Max Scherzer because he's a guy that just doesn't seem to age. I mean, last year was his, arguably his best year of his career. He didn't end up winning the Cy Young, but there is a great argument that he should have. He, it was his best ERA of his career. You know, his numbers were still off the charts. He was still pitching well. I mean, the the one game he missed was due to some arm fatigue, but that was because in the playoffs they used him out of the bullpen. They used him to start. It was kind of like that Madison Bumgarner year with the Giants where he just was, was pitching all the time, and his arm just kind of was like, all right, I need a little break here. So that shouldn't really be any bit of concern for the Mets as long as there was no structural damage, which clear there, clearly there wasn't. And I just love the, the kind of the New York, you know, stage that he's going to be on right now i mean the the mets have so long been kind of the second option but they're such a fun option in new york when they're good and now that they have you know max scherzer and jacob degrom really reminds me of the 2015 team and they're better i mean that was a young degrom that was a young harvey that was a young Syndergaard, and now you have two guys that are established that have been in the league like you mentioned max scherzer's already won at the highest level uh him and degrom have been you know two of the top three pitchers probably in baseball over the last you know five or so years so they're going to be absolutely great at the top of the rotation. I love the flexibility they get in these two outfielders in Marte and Kana. These are guys that can play everywhere on the outfield. You know, Marte is probably going to be your primary center fielder, but him, Nimmo, Kana, all of them can play center and all of them can play the corners. So they have some room in the outfield. They have some flexibility. And, you know, I, I know I'm kind of on a rant here, but in regards to Javi Baez, he's a guy I don't think they needed. I, I think he could have been a nice addition. And I think 23 
the 23 he got from Detroit was maybe a little less than I actually thought he'd get. You know, it's not a bad deal for Detroit, I don't think. But if you're the Mets, you know, spend the money elsewhere. Round up the rotation, bring in a bullpen, and they're going to be in a really nice spot for next year. Yeah, I agree. And and I don't want to say Mets fans are being greedy looking for uh, Javi Baez because they deserve to be, right? Like, let's be real. This Mets team and this, these Mets fans deserve to ask and want for any single player imaginable. But what they've been through with – the Wilpons, and even the first year Steve Cohen where he didn't really add a whole lot, this team deserves to spend like a, like the big market team that it is. And they've been doing that. And I think when you look at second base, I think J.D. Davis is a fine option there. You know, Jeff McNeil is a fine option there. You don't even know what you're getting with Robinson Cano. You know, a couple of years ago, he wasn't that bad. He wasn't worth the contract that he had, but he was playing okay. And I wonder if him off the bench or him splitting time at second base might be an option for this team. So, to, to leave out Javi Baez, maybe you bring in a, a better arm. I would much prefer that because I look at this team, and, and right now I'd like another one or two bullpen arms. And frankly, I think you need one more starter because when you look at a team, you typically want six or seven legitimate starters in the sense that guys are going to go down. And I like their top four a lot, DeGrom, Scherzer, Walker, Carrasco. But three of those four guys, you know, save Scherzer, you don't know what you're really getting at him. You know, Walker did not pitch a lot the year before. And then as a result, this second half of this year, he fell apart. Carrasco, I'm just wiping up this year and throwing it in the garbage because he was hurt for most of it. I don't think he was fully healthy when he started pitching. And you saw him not perform. And then with the Grum, we don't know what his arm is. And we don't know how bad it's going to be. He's had some injury history the last couple of years. So to rely on McGill, Peterson, or Peterson, or Yamamoto to fill in the fifth spot plus another one or two, I just, I'd like to see one more guy. You know, Matt's would have been a great option. I don't think you bring back Stroman at this point. Just the value is, you know, isn't really there because you don't need a number three anymore. You probably need a good four or five. Yeah, and the question is, I think Marcus Stroman becomes that big question because we've kind of seen what's happened on social media this past couple of weeks. He's, you know, allegedly, I don't know. I, I, I tend to believe that he actually was liking those tweets who really knows but he's a guy that that's controversial no matter what i mean we talked about it last year with the social media and he's a guy that definitely uses social media as uh kind of a weapon at times you know he goes at fans but it's a double edged media. right well yeah it's a what do you mean by that like it hurts him as much as it helps him going after well, i'm saying it hurts anthony decomo or whatever yeah. doesn't help him you know going after the mets and saying look they don't want me doesn't help him well, I don't. Th- I don't think it helps him at all. That was my point. I think it only hurts him. I don't think Marcus Stroman has been helped by social media in quite some time. I mean, I guess the fact that he's kind of promoting himself, being like, "I have the longevity," blah blah blah. I I don't throw hard. I can finesse things like that. But to me, it's too much of a headache to bring back. Um, but you're right. There's too many question marks when it comes to those top four. So you got to add an arm. But if those top four are all pitching to their capabilities, then I'm fine with rolling out a Peterson or a McGill who pitched pretty well when he came up because realistically it's tough to have five legitimate arms in a rotation at all times that fifth spot is usually a little wishy-washy as we've seen with the yankees kind of rotation of of fifth options uh over the past few years but i like what the mets have done and i i don't know matt are the mets uh running new york now that's the big question because it seems like the way that this has gone down is yankees fans are, are feeling a little bit of heat they're definitely feeling it and i think the mets haven't been the yankees rival for quite some time and obviously they don't compete for the same, you know, side of the standing. So it's not like they're true rivals. Like, you know, even the Islanders and Rangers are at least in the same conference, you know, things like that. The Knicks and the Nets uh, in the same division. But 
I think Yankees fans are a little jealous. I think they're a little jealous that Daddy Steve has gone out and, and kind of spent and improved the roster while the Yankees have stayed pat. No, I, I 100% think they have. I look at the Yankees, and a lot of their fans are, you know, Tommy Smokes from Barstool has been the biggest proponent of this, saying, look, we shouldn't spend we shouldn't spend a dime to this team if they don't go out there and get Carlos Correa. I mean, Yankees fans are losing their minds over the lack of moves for the Yankees for this Yankees team. And I think that's okay. And I think, you know, have the right, do what you want to do. I think they're dead wrong. You gotta be, you gotta have some patience. This is a long off season. And sure, it's fun to get the the pretty names, right? The Scherzers, the this, the that, you know, Seeger would have been a nice option here. But let's look at this team right now. They have the pretty names already. They have Judge, they have Stan, they have LeMahieu, they have Cole, they have the big names. They don't need to go out there and spend another and get another $30 million a year guy because they have too many of them already. So they're going to go out there. They're going to get judged to an extension. They're going to make the smart plays. They're going to have to be a little cheap because you can't have a $350 million payroll if you're the Yankees, right? You can't be that team right now because there's there's only one team that does that, and that's the Dodgers. So I want them to go over the luxury tax. I think they will, but I don't, I don't see any issues. And I get it. Yankees fans are miserable and upset with it, but I don't hate what they – the lack of moves from them. You know, I think you need, I'd like to see you improve at shortstop, but you can't, you know, roadblock Anthony Volpe, who is supposed to be one of the best prospects they have in this, you know, in their farm system. He's what, a year or two away. He's supposed to be a very, 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 you know, highly rated prospect for this team. So why would you go out there and spend on a Correa, log jam Volpe, who could be your next, you know, maybe not Derek Jeter, but maybe he's your next Aaron judge for the next 10 years to go alongside with him. Yeah, I think the the big issue with the roadblock situation is that a lot of fans are wary after the Yankees wouldn't go after a Bryce Harper because they said Esteban Florio was going to be the next big thing, and he hasn't been the next big thing. So I think that's why the the roadblock conversation has kind of come into effect. But I think when you look at the Yankees right now, I can understand the frustration because I was looking at a graphic. The Yankees uh, spend the – I'll have to look up the exact number, but I think it was the fifth least – uh, percentage of their revenue. So I think that's what fans are mad about. It's like, okay, we put all this money in, you know, where is it going? Yada, yada. Steve Cohen is worth like three times the amount of Hal Steinberg. Like Steve Cohen alone, I think is worth like 15 bill and Hal is worth like five. Like, obviously these are big numbers we're talking about. And I'm not trying to say that Hal Steinbrenner is poor by any means, but Steve Cohen blows every ownership group out of the water, you know, save maybe the Dodgers who are made up of, I think a group of, of high end investors, but either way, it's not like the Yankees. Uh, it's not like the the Yankees have the exact money that the Mets have. But obviously, from a ticket standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, you expect the Yankees to be able to go out there and compete. But I guess my question for Yankees fans would be, and I get it, maybe Correa is the argument they're going to make. But you know, the guys that have gotten signed, you know, a Max Scherzer, were the Yankees going to get Max Scherzer? No, you know, Marcus Semien, you know, Corey Seager, maybe. But it seemed like they weren't going to spend the money there. It seems like he's either going to be Correa or. They're going to make a trade. And I think that's what Yankees fans have forgotten is that the Yankees have the ability to make trades. The Mets don't have that. The Mets don't have the deep farm system that the Yankees have. The Yankees can identify a problem and bring in a Matt Olson or bring in another guy uh, via trade. So I think that's the advantage the Yankees have that the Mets don't. They don't have to spend. Like you said, they've already handed out their big contracts. They can also go out and trade for guys, which the Mets really can't do. No, no, they certainly can't. And I just give them some time, right? Like this team can go out there and get Matt Olson. And the team completely changes its identity. You can go back out there and re-sign Anthony Rizzo, and it's a completely different team. For me, I think the lineup's okay. I think the lineup will be okay, right? You're bringing back Hicks. You don't really know what he is, but he, he, you have to imagine he's better. 
I like bringing back Severino when he when he's healthy. I just I don't know. Like I don't understand the the complaints. You already have your major guys. Do you, you can't expect a four hundred million dollars well, you know threshold. I think the complaint the complaint would be if they were out the same exact team that they did last year. I think that would but be I don't a complaint. Think I think I would understand. Right, but I think that's what Yankees fans are scared of. They see all the Yankees, all the players coming off the board, and they're saying, if we go back with this same roster for the third straight year, knowing we know damn well this team, as presently constructed, is not going to win a World Series, I think that's where the frustration would come in. And, I, and I'll be upset with that. If they come back and bring back the same team, I would be very upset. But listening to everything they said after the season ended, during the season when I think it was Hal Steinbrenner basically blamed the players you know, and said this isn't a managerial issue, this is a player issue, they're not going to bring back the same team. Brian Cashman's smart enough to make a move to change this team up, right? Look at the, look at the creativity he had bringing in Joey Gallo, bringing in Anthony Rizzo. Had eight zero dollars for it so that they stayed on the luxury tax, so now they can go out there and spend now since they reset it. He didn't trade away any major prospects. You have one of the better farm systems in baseball. You can go out there and make a move for Olsen and not miss a single player you trade. You don't. You might not miss them. Now, the the issue here that kind of gets questionable is, let's say Glaber Torres is part of that trade. You're going to need to replace him at second base or wherever he goes. So you're going to need to bring in another player if you end up trading Torres and then some for a guy like Matt Olson. You're probably going to need to figure out. You know, DJ goes to second. You'll have Geo at third, and then a question mark at short, which you still have right now. So I think you have to preach patience. The thing that really is concerning is that there's going to be a lockout in seven hours when you're listening to this at five o'clock on Tuesday, given it'll be the December 1st deadline. That's where it's going to be really irritating. But at least for Yankees fans, everybody freezes, right? No more roster moves can be made. So Brian Cashman can sit there and really think about what he wants while he's waiting for free agency to kind of kick back in when eventually, or hopefully, the C- a new CBA is agreed to. Yeah, I think it's just a hint of jealousy. And I can't lie, you know, when you see the Mets go out and you know, it, it was like splash after splash. You know, it was Marte, it was Kana, it was Escobar, and then it was sure. Is Kana and Escobar that big of a splash? Like, are they that big names? I mean, they're getting paid 13, I think, million around there each per year. That's yeah. nothing crazy. No, but I, I really like Escobar. He's a guy that was an all-star last year with Arizona, got traded to Milwaukee. I think Kana's a nice addition. The, they're not additions that the Yankees need, but I think the Yankees look at that and – they just see moves. Like, the Yankees haven't seen a single move so far besides signing Joely Rodriguez, who they got in the Joey Gallo trade. So I think that's what the, the jealousy is, is that the Mets are doing things. The Yankees haven't done a single thing. Like, the Yankees' rotation right now is, is kind of a question mark as well. I mean, it's Garrett Cole, and then it's, you know, Tyone and Severino, Herman, Montgomery. Like, there's a lot of question marks in that rotation as well. So I think the Yankees are seeing all these moves being made. And, you know, I don't think they were going to ever get a Robbie Ray or a Kevin Gosman or a Max Scherzer, but... I think it's just, you know, sitting here and being like, hey, guys, can, can we do something? Can we can we make our roster better and not have to panic? Because now, yes, the lockout's coming. Yes, they can. Uh, the Yankees can sit back, but the fans aren't going to sit back. They're going to be saying, you know, whenever this lockout ends, we need to go to work. And I think that's a concern is that with a long lockout, we don't know what's going to happen with those kind of mid-level uh, free agents that haven't been signed yet. Right. And, and why don't we transition now to the Buffalo Bills who – We'll, we'll just touch on briefly because it feels like it was a long time ago that they ended up playing their game and completely smoking New Orleans over Thanksgiving. you know. And that's something, Luke, that you had said they needed to win this game big after losing to the Colts. But you beat Trevor Simeon, right? Like, Jets they, legend. Yeah, exactly. Plays one one quarter and <laughs> breaks his leg. That, first off, 
happy he's playing now, you know, happy he's healthy, whatever. But I mean, does this win even really, does this win even register? I mean, you beat a depleted New Orleans Saints offense. It has to register. It has to, because when you look at uh, the way that New England's playing, I mean, if they lose this game, they're going to that Monday night game, you know, a game and a half back, you know, now they're a half game back just because New England has played one more game than them. But they had to win just to just to get the win on the tally, just to make sure they stayed within striking distance because this is going to be the biggest regular season game that I can remember for quite some time. Even the Week 17 game back in 2017, the Bills beat the Dolphins and eventually made the playoffs after the Andy Dalton uh, miracle against the Ravens. That Bengals-Ravens game felt bigger than the Bills-Dolphins game. The Bills-Dolphins game was a 1 o'clock kickoff. The, the Ravens-Bengals game was a 425, so... It was like, yeah, the, the Ravens are probably going to win. The Bills won't make the playoffs. So that game didn't even feel as big as this game. This is the biggest game the Bills have played in the regular season probably since the 1990s, which is you know back before I could remember every single game that's happened. So, yeah, obviously it's against the Saints. It doesn't really matter. But to get that win and to set up this matchup, I think, was the biggest part. I mean, let me, let me rephrase. It's certainly important that they won this game. It was the game you needed to win. But does it make you feel better about this team that they won the game, or is it Hey, we took care of business. No, I feel worse actually knowing the that Tre'Davious White injury. White. Yeah, they're going to be without Tre'Davious White the rest of the year, who is you know a top two, top three corner in the NFL. Um, that that was the biggest news to come out of last Thursday is that the Bills are going to have to kind of readjust their defense because Trey White is always guarding the number one guy. He's always shutting down one half of the field, kind of like the Jets had. Uh, when they had Darrell Revis, where, you know, one half of the field you don't have to worry about. But now the Bills have to worry about that. They can't play man. They can't play their normal nickel-based defense. They're going to kind of have to adjust to that. So that was the biggest kind of L for me on Thanksgiving is the Bills win big, but to lose Tredavious White I think is a big loss. Yeah, it certainly is. It, do they have enough depth in that secondary to, to overcome it? I know this defense has been one of the better ones in the NFL, but he's a big part of that. You want to have a guy that can shut down the field. He opens things up. He lets you rush more guys, you know, maybe have a, throwing a safety blitz over there because he can take a guy one-on-one. Is there enough to, to overcome? You know, obviously you're not going to replicate what he can do, but is there enough to, you know, change the scheme to get that production? It kind of stinks how late it happened in the year because, you know, if it happens earlier, you can make a trade. You can try to do something at the deadline. But now it's kind of like practice squad shopping and things like that. I mean, Levi Wallace is a solid number two, but for him to slide into a number one role, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Dane Jackson will probably come up. He was, uh, he started a few games last year when Levi Wallace was hurt. They have decent pieces. They don't have another Tredavious White. The good news is though, when I look at, you know, New England, who they play next, they don't really have a number one wide receiver. So it's not going to be the biggest deal. I mean, their tight ends seem to do a lot of the work for them. But when you play like uh, a Tampa Bay next week, if Antonio Brown's back, that's gonna be a problem because then it's Mike Evans and Godwin and Brown and Gronk. So that's kind of one of the matchups where I think it would hurt them. But I mean, the remainder of their schedule, uh, Tampa Bay is the only team that has legit receivers. I mean, Carolina is, I mean, we'll talk about that later. They're horrible. Uh, Atlanta doesn't really have any options outside of Patterson. So it's really just that Tampa Bay game where I think it'll really hurt. But obviously, once the playoff starts, you want to be fully healthy and they're not going to be. But obviously, you know, come playoff time, I feel like you scheme around the better, you know, the best player. The top, the top guy almost never beats you unless you're embarrassed in the game. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to scheme a way to get the ball out of, I don't know, Julio's hands or A.J. Brown's hands or whoever you're ta- whoever you're playing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, but it's a lot easier when you have a guy that can guarantee shut them down, you know, as opposed to having to use a safety over the top, things like that, you know, that really 
would hurt them. But my biggest question for this week, Matt, is how legit are the Patriots? I mean, they they come off a big win against Tennessee. Tennessee didn't really have anyone, but I mean, they're the best team in the NFL right now. When you talk about the hottest team in the NFL, and I know, you know, Mac Jones has been kind of up and down, and and you know, kind of seen more as a game manager. But he really played well last week. He's thrown over, you know, 200 yards the last few weeks. He's kind of getting his numbers up there a little bit. Takes care of the ball well. And that's what I'm interested to see. You know, is Mac Jones legit? You know, they're playing against a really good defense in Buffalo. Um, this is, I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a really good How game. How scared are you for this game? What's your what's your nervous meter? Uh, I'd say I'm about a 40. Because I don't I don't want to go overboard because I, there is that second game. 40 you know, out of 100? Like, it's not like the season ends. Yeah, 40 out of 100. So you're not even worried at all? I'm less than 50% worried right now. But the okay, worry the, meter the playoff game will back, fluctuate was, on the How about the playoff drive. game last year? What was your worry meter there? Which playoff game? The one that the, <laughs> the Colts, the Ravens, or, or the I was Chiefs. thinking of two years ago when they lost to the Texans, actually. But um, Oh, yeah. What's, what, a standard playoff game, meter. what's your wor- wor- worryometer at? Like a 75. Okay. Last wow, year. so you're pretty, you're pretty cozy in this game. Well, I, I'm not cozy, but I think... It's just knowing I, – I, I don't know. It's just I don't know what to make of Mac Jones. I don't know what to make of the Patriots' offense because they haven't – it feels like they haven't played anyone. Like, yeah, they beat the Titans, but they were all banged up. I mean, the and Jets beat, beat the, the Browns Titans too, but, and they were all banged up. Yeah, and, and they beat the Browns, who we don't really know what they are. But maybe my concern should be higher because the Bills haven't beat anyone either. Like, it's that simple where both these teams kind of have something to prove. But at least Josh um, Allen's been there I, before. Right, like if I'm going up there yeah, and you're saying, exactly. if you're gonna tell me right now, do I want the Bills offense or the or the Patriots offense? I, I have to take the Bills offense, right? They've been there for the last two seasons, and then it comes down to the defense. And right now, the Patriots offense doesn't scare me if I'm the Bills defense. You can, you know, the running game is gonna be an issue. The Bills have a a mediocre run defense from what I, from what I've kind of you know seen, right? And you could point to just Jonathan Taylor, and, and, and yeah, that's enough evidence yeah, there. Yeah, but I mean, Jonathan Taylor, they don't have Jonathan Taylor with the Patriots. They scheme a very good run game, True. but they don't have a Jonathan Taylor. Well, let me re- list off these games, man, and what are you impressed by? They beat the Jets. They beat the Chargers by three. They beat the Panthers. They beat the Browns. They beat the Falcons. They beat the Titans. Like, to me, none of those games are overly impressive. Yeah, I mean, you look at their their wins, and you, and you mentioned them, the, this – was it one, two, three, four, five, six game win streak? And outside on. of that, they beat the Jets again and they beat the Texans. And, yeah. So those are their wins. I mean, and who have they lost? I mean, the to? Bills lost to the Jaguars, so it's not like I could say much. But, but also, that's a game that you I throw away. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's a game that you don't really register no, yeah. in your mind, just like in week one, if you want to call it, Miami beat the Patriots. Granted, it's a different team now. I think, but I just, but we can play this game all day. No one's beaten anybody in the league except for Tennessee. Yeah, that is 100% true. Like, no one's beaten anyone, Everyone which, which makes it so exciting. But right now, I mean, Mac Jones doesn't scare me. He just doesn't. Say what you want. I'm sure I sound like an idiot to Patriots fans. But he, he will never scare me this season. He went 23-32 or 32 last week for 310 yards. Great. Awesome. Good job. I'm not even being facetious. Like, that's a good game for him. But he just doesn't scare me. They had, you know, the Bills have a smart coach. They have talented players that I think can can hold him to 20, 22 points. Now, can the offense score more than that? I think so. I, I could see them put. I could see them putting up thirty points against this Patriots defense. And then 
from there it goes, okay, can the defense make a couple stops here and there? It just comes down to can Josh Allen protect the ball and make fewer mistakes than Mac Jones, which is hard to do when you consider how mistake-free football the Patriots play offensively. I think the, the, the Bills can get to Mac Jones. I think that's the biggest thing. They have to get pressure on him because he's not a he's not a dual threat quarterback. You know, he can move a little bit, but he's not, you know, a Lamar Jackson type. You know, he's not a guy that's gonna move a lot in the pocket. So if they can get to him, I think the defenses are pretty scratch. I mean, the Bills are number one, the Patriots are number four. They're both pretty good defenses, but I think like you said, it with the game on the line, with the ball in the hands, I'd rather have Josh Allen leading me on a two minute drive than Mac Jones. So if the Bills can get in that position, I think I like the Bills. Uh, the worry meter goes up though if the Patriots go out and they have a drive where they run the ball and they score early. I think because that was that was what changed everything for me against the Colts, where it's like, oh, the Colts are going to run the ball down the Bills' throat all day and they're not going to do anything about it. Like you can tell pretty early on in a game which Bills' defense is going to show up, and usually it's the great defense, but occasionally it's that defense that can't stop the run. So if they can take out the run game and make Mac Jones make big throws, then I agree. I think it's not going to be. Uh, an issue, but if it's an early, you know, drive where they they kill the clock and they it's keep away. They it's what teams do against uh, Patrick Mahomes, where they just keep the ball. They don't want the ball going the other way. Uh, if they can do that, then I think it's going to be a tough one. And Bill Belichick always has something up his sleeve or lack thereof uh, when it comes to his sleeves. But I think it's going to be a tough one. The worry meter still at forty though. Uh, looking at the spread right now, I'll pull it up here for you. The spread right now is Buffalo minus three at home. So if this is a neutral site game, it'd be you know, pick them, which I'm kind of surprised the Patriots aren't, you know, favored in this game, or, you know, maybe it's a two point game. That kind of surprised me. It is, it is yeah. early granted. So we'll wait and see where the money falls. But, you know, last week, the Patriots were what a seven point favorite against Tennessee. I mean, yeah, that's a and big took Tennessee. Listen, I didn't know Julio and AJ Brown were going to be out. Julio, I think I knew yeah. I didn't know AJ Brown would be out. Julio's always out. Yeah, Julio never plays. But yeah, AJ Brown, that was a surprising one. And I don't know. I, I'm not going to touch this game at all because I think it could it could definitely swing either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's the three point as a home as a home team. But the Patriots are also five and zero on the road, so that kind of I don't know. Well, you get three points for know. being home regardless, pretty much. Usually, yeah. You know what's a no, sexy no, pick that. too? I'm just saying, Baltimore what's minus that? four against the Steelers. Oh yeah, that that, Love that. that does something for me. Mark, come on. Lamar getting fully back after his Hopefully. issue. But he was horrible last week, four interceptions. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, why don't we move on to odd man rush, Luke? We've got picks to talk about. We'll, we'll touch on them on Thursday before the Thursday night game. Why don't I hand the reins over to you for uh, some odd man rush? All right, let's do it. Let's do some odd man rush. I don't know how much time I have. I'm not I'm not keeping time Give it like here, 10 so minutes I, or so. Try sure. to bring it to like okay. yeah, 10 minutes is good or so. Okay. Yeah, don't, don't, let the peop- don't let the people know when we're recording this. We can't let them in on that. But I'll give it a 10. Uh, rookie QB watch. We need. We still need a sounder for that. All the do, way do, back. Do, do. Justin Fields, cracked ribs, doesn't play. But we talked about Mac Jones, 23 of 32, 310 yards, two touchdowns, and that big win over Tennessee. Trevor Lawrence, 23 of 42, 228, a touchdown and a pick. Also five carries for 39 yards. Zach Wilson, 14 of 24, 145 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. Did have a rushing touchdown, though, which was kind of – it was a nice play at the goal line, a nice read he made to get into the end zone. Mac Jones still seems to be the class of, of the quarterbacks. We don't know if that's a system thing or a Mac Jones thing. No, it's a system thing. Uh, It is a system thing, but I think if you put Zach Wilson in the system, I don't think he's as good as Mac Jones. That's true, but he's also not the quarterback that Mac Jones is. You know, Mac Jones is the, I'm going to dump it off and, and do this. You know, I'm going to throw it inside, keep it tight, keep it simple. Zach Wilson's the, 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 the flair guy, you know, 
and I think Trevor Lawrence is like an in between where it's like he has the ability to to put up big numbers, but he hasn't. But he also kind of has the the turnovers in him. So it's really weird though to talk about. It's like Trevor Lawrence. Has, I feel like no one talks about him. I know he's in Jacksonville and all that, and they, and they stink. But I feel like no one's analyzing at all. Like no one. I have no idea if Trevor Lawrence is good or not. It's like, oh yeah, he's on a bad team and puts up like pretty bad to mediocre numbers. But like, no one's really talking about how like is he a boss? Like, I feel like I haven't heard that conversation yet. It's just like accepting the fact that he's in a bad system. But we had to keep him away from New York, right? Had to do it. Couldn't let him be yes. with the Jets. <laughs> Couldn't do it. No, the Jets. They're gonna destroy him. They're gonna ruin him. Jacksonville. Let's send him there. <laughs> like Dave ever yeah, had a good quarterback in there. Their last good quarterback was was Blake Bortles. Come on. That's the team you, you'd right. rather go to? Urban Meyer's got a foot out the door to Notre Dame? Give me a break. Oh, yeah. Spicy take. We'll get into that later as well. But, yeah, none of the rookies. I mean, I think Mac Jones certainly has been the best. I think Jamar Chase is probably going to win rookie of the year. I mean, he's putting up kind of historic numbers, Mac Jones. Eh. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Mac Jones gets it just because he's a quarterback? Yeah, I think Chase should get it, but I think Mac Jones does end up winning it. Yeah, you also have uh, Sewell's having a great year, but he plays offensive line for the Lions, so he's probably not going to be in there uh, in that mix. Speaking of terrible quarterbacks, Cam Newton, 5 of 21, 92 yards, 2 interceptions, 5.4 QBR. Uh, The Panthers are a mess. CMC's out for the year. I mean, I don't know what what the Panthers do. Because they they still have Darnold, they, they still have you know Cam Newton for the rest of the year. I don't know, it's a mess. I think when Darnold gets healthy, you have to give him the rest of the year and see what happens. You already have him guaranteed for next year as well. It's rough. It is. He can't be. He's not five of twenty one bad. I'll tell you that. I don't. But Cam Newton Sam was Darnold's saying he didn't bad. know the the playbook that well. But he was just misthrowing like balls. Like he was under throwing. He was throwing behind guys. It was bad. It was ugly. Yeah, that was horrible. I'm shocked that they went to him so quickly. I'm really surprised because he had a week to learn the playbook. That's not a lot of time. I thought that yeah. they could have given it another week or two of splitting the two guys up. So you're protecting Cam, give him a couple of plays, protect you know him from this five of twenty one. And man, I didn't even know a QBR can go that low. Yeah, it's pretty bad. PJ Walker came in eventually, but he played okay in that game against the Cardinals, and then they just decided to go full on Cam Newton, which was kind of interesting. Um, it felt like an decision. Probably. I, I think it's probably true. And I think the rest of the year, Panthers quarterbacks are going to have their, their hands tied because no CMC. You don't have that option. So you got to figure it out with your receivers. Robbie Anderson hasn't had a great year. Uh, DJ Moore's been okay, but they certainly don't have a lot of weapons. And I don't know. I, I wonder where the blame is because Matt Rule is supposed to be this great head coach. He hasn't been great so far. Brady's offense hasn't looked great either, so I don't know where the brain kind of lines. I, I the, think the it's quarterback. Line. I really do. I mean, how are you supposed to win with P.J. Walker, who is, who is undrafted, Cam Newton, who's washed, and Sam Darnold looked okay when CMC was healthy, right? I think CMC makes that offense go. And is it fair to, to say that a running back has that much influence on an offense? Well, when he's as good as Christian McCaffrey is, yeah. And don't look now, Matt. The Miami Dolphins, four games in a row they've won. Two is playing well. Easy schedule down the stretch. They play the uh, the Giants coming up. So, who knows? Could you say who they're knows? coming up? Uh, it's an easy schedule and the Giants are in the playoff hunt, if you will, only a game back. The only team not on that graphic is the Lions, by the way. That's awesome. But, yes, they're only a game back. They have to hop in 1,000 teams. We'll talk about that later. 
Here's another team that might stink. The the LA Rams. They lost 36 and 28 against the Packers in my lock of the week. Shout out Matt Stafford, who I was told was very good. Someone lied to me. They've lost three straight games. Their only win over a, fi- uh, a team over 500 was the Bucks in week three. Seems like the Cardinals are going to win that division when they get Kyler back, when they get healthy. I don't know. I don't know what to make of the Rams. I think they're a mess right now. But like we said earlier, it seems like every team right now has their issues, has their problems beating good teams. It's like everyone's just just eating each other. I think the Cardinals are the best team in the NFC at this point. When fully healthy, Woo-hoo. they've been healthy for like a month, and they're still winning games left and right. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with the Rams. I can't believe that they're not playing, you know, winning football with the talent they have on this team. I, I've heard a lot that the loss of um, oh, what's his face, who was just hurt for for the uh, Rams, guy just tore his ACL oh, Robert, receiver. Robert Woods. Robert Woods. I heard the loss of him is Bobby Trees has been a lot more significant than you can kind of quantify. You know, a steady guy. You hope that Odell can kind of figure things out and get acclimated by the time the season. You know, by week fifteen, I guess. So you give him a couple weeks to get geared up for the playoffs, but. You know, the defense giving up 36 points is troubling. Matt Stafford, you know, one interception isn't terrible. He threw for 302 yards. And then you look at the run game, and you can't really win a game when you only run the ball 20 times. You want to control the clock. You want to keep it away from Rodgers. And when you go down 7 nothing early and you you exit the, the half down three points, you know, it's, it's certainly manageable, but it's harder to, to control the clock when you have to throw the ball as much as they do. Yeah, and... Odell did have a decent game. He caught that, I think, 56-yard touchdown. Five catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. I think the, I think whoever gets the one seed in the NFC is going to win, win the NFC. I know that sounds stupid, but I can't see the Cardinals. Go, and I can't see the Cardinals going to Green Bay and winning. Like, imagine Kyler and, like, negative five degrees. I don't see that happening, but I also don't see the pa- – I think if the Cardinals get home field, I think they can beat the Packers. It's, like, a weird brain thing to me, but, like, Imagine the Cardinals in those white road uniforms, like going on the road with Kyler in the snow. I don't see them winning that game, but I could be- see them beating the Packers at home. But they do have a solid run game, which certainly helps. And I think that's something that's super significant for a team that isn't used to playing in cold weather, right? Indoor stadium out there in Arizona, warmth in general. So to have that is certainly helpful. And, and when I look at Green Bay, I don't really see any flaws, but it just kind of feels like that's a team that never seems to win in a big spot. You know, you, you only have one Super Bowl win with Aaron Rodgers. That kind of feels like something. I, I look at Tampa, and, and they're just meh. One thing of interest, though, Luke, is the strongest the strongest strength of schedules for all the teams in a playoff spot right now for the NFC. You've got the Cowboys at 5, 524, although they're only 7-4. and four. You've got Washington 528, and they're 5-6. and six. And then right there on the bubble is Minnesota at 536. So the other teams that are in a playoff hunt, aside from the Cowboys are all under, have a strength of schedule under 500. So I don't know if that's them playing. That doesn't have anything to do with them beating those teams, right? The strength of schedule? No, I don't think so. I think the strength, well, SOV is strength of victory, right? Yeah. So that's like so I, the wins you have and what your rank, what their schedule, what their uh, winning yes. percentage is. Yeah. Okay. Well, are you saying the strength of schedule for the rest of the year? Just or currently general? played. Because you look at it and you oh. say it's wide open. Well, when you look at it, I was going to say, I feel like Dallas plays like the NFC East the whole rest of the year, right. which would be probably easy. Not necessarily. They're all within yeah, I guess one, not. You know, they're all one or two games above 500 or below 500, yeah. I should say. 
True, but if you watch that Eagles Giants game, I would say there there could be some. That was easy, a real uh, slugfest. Let me tell you, easy wins. Let me tell you on the on the Cowboys schedule. Well, I think the the thing about the Packers is every year it's like, do they have a defense? This year it's like they do, but I feel like we've said that in the past. So I don't know. It's wide open. Yeah, it, you could put a gun to my head. I'd have no idea who's making the Super Bowl on either side. No, I think it's gonna be Tampa Bay. Somehow. I don't know if it's Tampa Bay. They have such a good offense, but I just can they do it again? Right? Like you you yeah, love know. their weapons, but are they gonna stay healthy? Yeah, I mean, A.B. hasn't. Their defense has been banged Greg up. hasn't. Who knows? Let's talk some college football, though, Matt, because college football was, was crazy this weekend. Uh, you have Michigan beating Ohio State 42-27. First win uh, over, uh, over Ohio State in the uh, Harbaugh era. Jim Harbaugh, not John Harbaugh. Uh, you have Bama holding on 24-22 in four overtimes against Auburn. Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma to put themselves in the mix, but I was shocked at the Michigan-Ohio State game because watching these two teams, I mean, Michigan's been very solid, and I like them. They're a defensive team that can run the ball pretty well, but their defense really stepped up, and Ohio State's offense, which I thought was unstoppable they, the way they played last week against Michigan State, got slowed down. Michigan played out of their minds, and it looks like if, if all goes well, if Michigan can avoid losing to Iowa next week, they'll be in the playoff, which to me, is really cool. Like the, I like seeing new teams in the playoff. Like It feels like every year it's been Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, maybe in Oklahoma every once in a while. But to see Michigan finally make it, I think it's pretty big. It is, and that's a good win for them. You know, you saw Jim Harbaugh take less money this year, restructured his contract, saying, look, I didn't deserve the money. Now he's still making millions of dollars. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, I don't feel too that, bad. That is him. kind of a nice thing for him to do just from a, an optic standpoint. You know, he's saying, look, I need to be better. I don't deserve this. And it kind of feels – feels good you know there's so much not greed but coaches make a ton of money in college football so for him to do that i kind of respect it it shows the dedication he has to the team but man that was a that was a big win for that team and it was they handily beat ohio state you know there wasn't really any doubt for much of that game that they would come back and you know that ohio state could come back and, and win it other than the typical oh this is you know same old michigan which you know even with two minutes left i was i was cracking those jokes here and there that they'll find a way to lose it but that's a really big win for this team, and you hope that they beat Iowa, Iowa right? You you want them yeah. to go in there, win, let them get a spot. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Notre Dame and you know Alabama because you expect Alabama to to lose in the in the um, SEC title game to bat to Georgia, and then they don't make it, but they're a really solid team. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State would probably be the team that gets in one loss, which was to Baylor. So if they can beat. Uh, Baylor, they'll kind of avenge that loss, which will be, uh, which would be a good situation for them. So I, I don't know. I, I thinking about it being Georgia, Michigan, uh, Cincy, and Oklahoma State. I think would probably be possibly the weakest um, playoff we've seen because I think Georgia is a lot better. But I don't know. I think it's good for the sport to see some other teams make it. For me personally, watching it's probably not good for the sport in terms of they'd rather have the big boys in there for the money, but. I wanted to get your opinion. I think, I think you were a fan of it. But what do you think about the the overtime rules in college, where after the second overtime, it's just a, a two point conversion, kind of almost like a hockey shootout, where it's one play and then it just goes back and forth till there's a winner. It's exciting, but it's too early. I, I don't want it after two yeah. because the first two, fine, okay, go for it. But it makes me feel like when Auburn scored that touchdown on the first round, I was like, go for two here. Why not? Because you're not winning. Yeah. The longer it goes, it feels like the better team is going to come out and win it. So I would have rather seen Auburn go for it early than kind of leave it up to chance there, especially with 
kind of having Alabama on their heels a little bit. But I, I don't like it. I also think it kind of ruins the the score itself. Like it just like how do you come up with twenty two points? Like, it's just weird. Yeah. I don't really <laughs> like it. It feels fraudulent, you know. The numbers for the defenses, like if that goes nine, you know, overtimes like that Penn State game did, the defensive like standings stats go all out of whack. So I I don't love it. I understand why they do it. I respect why they do it. You don't want to see guys playing, you know, super long, you know, doubling their their snap counts or whatever it is. But I wish it could have gone a little bit later just because it didn't feel like a real win. Quickly, because I know we got to move on to some Jets and Giants. Uh, a lot of shaking in the college football world. Lincoln Riley going to USC, reportedly $110 million there. Brian Kelly, the big news from last night, Brian Kelly going to uh, LSU. He'll be leaving Notre Dame. Uh, a lot of scrutiny under that. You know, he said he'd stay, then you know, kind of had to end up texting his players that he was leaving because the message came out before he could fly in to tell them in person. Um, so two really big moves, and it kind of starts the carousel, which is going to be it's going to be an insane year in college football because the Florida job's open, the Miami job's open, the Notre Dame job is now open. You saw USC filled, Oklahoma's now open. Like, there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking right now in the college football world. And, you know, Mel Tucker signs a big extension with Michigan State. Franklin will be staying at Penn State. So those are two big names off the board. So there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking this offseason. I don't really like the Kelly move. You know, I don't really care that he didn't tell his players. The media happened, right? That's not really his fault. But I just think, it, I think Notre Dame's a better program than LSU and I get it they've won three titles in the last 30 years as LSU but it just felt like Notre Dame was a really good spot so I don't love it but I also at the end of the day like I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna give up I could say the same thing for the Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley job why would you go to USC they've been terrible for so long because the well, money, USC is an automatic playoff berth every year if you win the Pac-12 I would say Oklahoma is the same Oklahoma's, thing no they're going to the SEC so oh, they're going to have right. to play. You know, USC, you're playing the Pac-12 every year. They can recruit. Like, Lincoln Riley is going to make that team a contender within the first few years just because Southern California itself is a recruiting hotbed where you can field a championship team. And I think with Brian Kelly, he's done what he could do at Notre Dame. You know, he, he's the winningest coach ever, 97 wins. Could never feel the roster good enough to win a national championship because it's a lot easier to convince kids to go down to LSU when they're already in Louisiana as opposed to getting kids to come to a Catholic school in Indiana where, by the way, not the greatest area in Indiana. Obviously the school is nice, but the outside, there's really not a lot going on there. So I think the move for Brian Kelly makes sense because you have a great recruiting base. You go to the SEC, you're kind of in more of a national spotlight. I mean, Notre Dame's a big brand, but they play on NBC every week. It's not like they're getting uh, the viewership that, you know, the SEC is getting now going over to ESPN. I don't know. I think, I don't know about that. I, I would, I would, I would say that, the CBS games blow NBC out of the water. But that, is that because I, they I have more be games to choose from, though? Probably, like, yeah. CBS but, can I mean, pick any the of the difference. top games. You can you can pluck the one good match right. that there is out of that conference versus you know. But isn't that? But Notre Dame thing for gets Kelly? all the money from that contract. Well, yeah, but I'm saying isn't that better for Brian Kelly as a brand? You know, if he wants to be in those big not games. Really. I mean, Notre Dame plays like Toledo every Like, they're not able to But he could go out there and the schedule SEC, SEC teams if he wanted that. He could try, but no one wants to play them. I mean, every year they play, you know, mostly Big Ten and Pac-12. It's hard for them to schedule SEC. I guess. The one thing that I think was funny, and we'll, we'll wrap this up here, is, you know, the quote earlier in the week was, you know, unless that fair godmother comes by with that $250 million check, I'd have to run it by his wife first. 
he's only getting $95 million for 10 years. And that's a lot of money, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But that's not the 250 you just mentioned. Yeah, no, that's crazy. You had that, you had Lincoln Riley. 9.5 no, doesn't feel like a lot of money for him, though. I wonder how much he was making another day, and it must have been less. I don't know. That I don't know. College football money is kind of crazy, though. I mean, I think that's going to be more than almost every NFL coach is making. And I, in the the great quote from Riley was he was asked if he was going to be the LSU coach, and he said no. So he didn't lie. He 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 did not go to LSU. He in fact went to USC. But that'll wrap up Odd Man Rush here uh, for the week. A lot of football. I'm sure we'll talk some more college football next week. There are some stories we didn't get to, but. I think we got to the, the most important ones. Yeah, certainly. And we'll, we'll, we'll jump in because we need to talk about the New York football Jets, Luke, that won a game. They did it. 3-8 and eight on They're the back. season now. They end up beating the Texans 21-14. But, Luke, I ask you this. Do we care? Does it matter when you consider that Zach Wilson was just meh? He wasn't great. 14-24, wow. 145 yards passing, an interception. A hilarious interception, by the way. All-time interception. Uh I think the issue is we didn't see a great Zach Wilson, but it's good to see him back on the field. I mean, that's first and foremost. You want him to, to be out there and improving. We didn't see the improvement this week, and I think that's why it becomes like a mad game. Like, I would rather see Zach Wilson throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and the Jets lose than to see them win 21-14 to 14 against the Texans. And, and maybe that's a crazy thing to say, but that's what this year is about at this point is developing Zach Wilson. So to get him on the field plus, but obviously he's not quite there yet in terms of, I don't know if it's his knee, I don't know if it's him not really being completely ready to lead an NFL team or, or what it is, but clearly last week wasn't the full strength Zach Wilson that we want to see. I will say though, you also want to develop your coaching staff, you also want to develop the other pieces around Zach Wilson and That's true. you know, Michael Fleur had, or was it Matt LaFleur or Michael Fleur? No, it's Mike. It's Mike, Mike had a very yeah. good day coaching, uh, coaching that offense as the coordinator. You know, they run the ball down the throats of the Texans. Tevin Coleman, 16 carries for 67 yards. You know, Ty Johnson put up 42 yards on six carries. So in that regard, running the ball well, you know, defensively, Rob Sala coaching very well. That's two very big positives that are just as important as the development of Zach Wilson is seeing A, what Rob Sala is and B, what Michael Fleur is. And those two guys, you know, maybe Fleur doesn't get an A, but he was certainly better than you would have expected. He was better than he was the first couple of uh, you know weeks when Zach Wilson was your was your head was your quarterback. I think the good thing for the Jets so far is yes, their defense has been pretty bad, but they've played well against bad teams. Like they haven't allowed you know you know Miami. They they played pretty well against Miami. They lost the game, but it's not like Miami put up fifty on them. You know they early on in the year they look good against the Panthers and you know teams like. Uh, even New England the first time, they played pretty decent defense. They just got kind of screwed by some bad field position. So that certainly is a good sign. You know, they clearly don't have the pieces, but maybe you like the scheme that Sal is putting together. Maybe you like the way the defense is competing, where it's like, well, if you have this scheme and you add, you know, some good corners and some better, you know, pieces around, then maybe they can be better. And I think that's maybe a good sign for them. But as for the Jets, they've got some pretty winnable games on the stretch. I mean, they play Philly this week, who is, Possibly going to be without Jalen Hurts. They've got the Saints. They've got Miami. They've got the Jags. So these next four weeks is about building up. Like if we talk after that Jags game the day after Christmas and we say, man, Zach Wilson's still kind of throwing up some bad stat lines, then it's going to be worry time. But at this point, he's just coming back. He's just getting fully healthy. Uh, The knee is not something that he fully trusts right now, which I think is another kind of story within itself. 
Um, but these next four weeks, I'm really interested to see how he, how he comes out and plays. And that knee story is so interesting because, you know, he says that it'll stretch and, and kind of, you know, get a little more pain to it, but there's no real structural damage. You know, that's what, you know, Rob saw kind of said that again, but I was listening to the Rick, uh, Rick DiPietro show and he said, you could make it worse. And, and he's had quite an experience with, with knee injuries. If you know the, uh, the history of the Islanders goaltender, and that does concern me, you know, why is Zach playing if he didn't feel like hundred percent? You know, maybe it's time he needs to just battle through a couple injuries. Maybe it's more like a mental thing where he doesn't trust it quite yet. But if his knee's not ready and he's trying to step in and grip it and, and rip the football down the field and he's not 100%, that does worry me. Because right now, this is a long-term guy that you need to put in as much care into as possible. And if he's not 100%, I don't really know the the value of rushing him. Yeah, not to mention a big part of his game is using his legs. And he can't use them right now. And it was apparent when he saw the interception, which I mentioned earlier, was very comical. But what was going through his head, you could see, is that he's starting to run. The running back goes to block because he thinks Wilson's going to take off like he usually does. But Wilson's like, wait, I don't really trust my knee. So he kind of shovel passes towards the running back who's now blocking for him, hits off the running back, intercepted. So that's a play you can specifically point to and say he doesn't trust his knee. Like He had the ability to run for a few yards and, and slide or whatever, but instead he decides to throw a pass that ends up getting intercepted. It's like, that's where the worry is because you want him to trust his knee. You want him to be able to trust when he's planting, when he's running, when he's doing things. And clearly right now he doesn't trust it. As, as he said, you know, he said, I, I, I felt a tweak. You know, he came out uh, after one series limping off the field. He ended up going back in the game. But a knee is a tricky thing because you don't want to blow it out all the way like you said. Um, so they've got to be super careful with that. But this also might just be a thing where he needs to take a couple hits before he fully trusts it, right? you might just need him to sit there, take a couple hits and be like, okay, this thing's still working. Okay. I'm good to go. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that's the question because you said, you know, what Rick DPHR was saying, which is you can read, you re-injure it. But the first article I read, Wilson was saying like, oh, I know I can't do further damage where I was like, why, why is that? Like, that doesn't really make sense to me. It seems to me like you could easily do more damage to something, but I don't know. I, I'm no. I'm not a doctor, so I, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I trust the Jets. I think these last couple of weeks have been good for them overall. Obviously, you didn't see Zach Wilson, you know, improve or really stand out, but he's not going to in his first game back in a month. He's still a rookie quarterback, and, and right now, I think for the next couple of weeks, you want to see him play, you know, mistake-free football. Can he be Mac Jones, right? Can he go out yeah. there, zero interceptions, maybe a touchdown or two, and I would say 250 yards passing per game. You know, 250, a touchdown, maybe 25 yards rushing. Can I see something like that? And I'm not saying I want him to throw picks, but, like, I I feel like he has more room to kind of be free and try to figure out, you know, what he's good at in this offense. Because he's not on a team that's going to – that's in a position that every play is going to, you know, make or break their season in terms of a playoff berth. I'm not saying go out there and throw in a triple coverage every time. But he can learn – He has more leeway. Right. He has the ability to make mistakes – and know that he's still going to have his job, that he's still going to be able, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks ago he may, might not have thought that because Mike White was was looming on him. But at this point, it, it seems like the Jets are, are in a good place with him in terms of he's going to play the rest of the year, hopefully healthy, uh, and he's got an opportunity to, to, to win some games and, and to play against some, some bad teams. I mean, to be frank, he's got the ability to uh, finally put up some numbers. He certainly does. And why don't we go too quickly? We've only got a couple minutes left. Get to the Giants. After last week, yeah, they baby. fired Jason Garrett, the mediocre offensive coordinator. The offense stinks. But after and you now fire the him, offense elite. after you fire him, Luke, whatever your name is, almost just called you Ben, that's awkward. 
after you fire him, you're all good, right? This team's going to be great. Offense going to be dynamic. Nope. 13-7 slugfest against the Philadelphia Eagles. How about that? A game that they probably should have lost after Jalen Rieger dropped two uh, potential game winners. The second one was, was real rough. But, again, Matt, it's the same situation as the Jets where it's like, okay, they won the game. Is that a good thing? Like, that's the question. Is it a good thing? Because to me, didn't really see a lot out of Daniel Jones. He played okay. Uh, didn't turn the ball over. I think Saquon Barkley might be the biggest story from this game in the fact that he had that one explosive carry, and then after that, he had the 32-yard run, then after that, 12 carries for eight yards. It, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to work. It's not a guy that I think the Giants should sign long-term because you can't have that. You can't have a guy that can't you know ice the game. We saw that the Giants – on that last drive, the Eagles had to use all their timeouts. They couldn't move the ball at all. I think they lost like eight or nine yards. Like the, the inability to, to move the ball at all in the ground game with Saquon Barkley, I think is a, is a big issue. And I think it has to be addressed for the Giants because I don't know. I just can't have my franchise running back, a guy that I want to pay, you know, whatever he's going to get paid, 20 mil, whatever it is. They can't run the ball for, you know, two or three yards every play. He, he's proven he has. He's not worth it. He's not worth a contract extension. You know, you can give him the fifth year. They already gave him the fifth year guaranteed for next season at, I think, 7.2. But I don't want to pay him more than that. Look look at the history of running backs that are making, I think, above $12.5 million. They're all hurt or they all stink, right? CMC, Kamara's out. You know, Zeke Elliott's been out for a little bit. Um, uh, Derrick Henry was thought to be the most, you know, the one guy that can kind of buck that trend. He was He's even hurt now this year. And he's the, the big piece of this offense. You can't have a running back as your centerpiece you know look at san francisco for example they draft two running backs elijah mitchell is isn't he the one that was drafted later on later on anyway and he's been the the star back of that team yeah he was i think he was last year actually a later round yeah was he really he's not yeah i don't think he's a rookie i think he was i think he was on the niners possibly the last two years if i'm not mistaken but either way i know what you're saying i mean they drafted trey sermon everyone was all hot and heavy about him he doesn't even really factor in i mean they had jeff wilson take carries they had elijah mitchell take carries. they've had a lot of guys in that backfield yeah and 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 mitchell out of louisiana is a, is a rookie but he was a six-round pick your six-round picks your, is your lead running back when you took trey sermon literally what in the first round i think it was was he a first round that's pick? crazy i had no idea. no he was a second yeah rounder, probably i had no idea if mitchell was a rookie yeah. that's crazy <laughs> this is not the guy i wanted to look at but though the point is is that <laughs> Barkley's not even those guys. Uh, Sermon was a third round pick, but regard which is acceptable. But regardless, Barkley is not a ten million dollar plus player. He's barely even a seven million dollar player right now, which is is a shame. I don't know what the issue is. The injuries, the ineffectiveness, it's been really bad. And and you touch on, you know, was this game even worth it when you win this game? I you can't even say it was because you didn't get any more answers about Daniel Jones. You know, shout out the defense. They were dynamic. They turned Jalen Hurts over four times. Boston Scott fumbles. And still, you have five ta- you have five takeaways in this game, and you still almost lose. How is that possible? Yeah. That's bad. That is really, really bad. I don't know where they go now. Like, clearly, like, they need someone else to call plays entirely. Like, a different philosophy. Like, clearly, Freddie Kitchens wasn't great. Uh, Jason Garrett was horrible. Like, I don't know what they even do at this point. Like, no one seems to be able to, to find any creativity in this offense. I don't know if it's because they don't trust Daniel Jones or if it's because they just have no creative minds in the locker room. But clearly, something needs to change with the offense. I feel like we've been watching the same Giants offense for, like, five years now. I mean, let's give 
Freddie Kitchens some slack. It's his first time calling plays, you know, this week for, in the last little while. There's no Sterling Shepard, no Kadarius Tony, no Kyle Rudolph. But with Galladay, Slayton, Ingram, and Barkley, you should be able to do more than what he did. You really should. Yeah, be. Uh, that's 100% true. And I think Barkley certainly plays a role in that. I mean, we saw Booker early in the year be able to get those three, four yards. And I wonder, you know, how this impacts his touches going forward. I feel like Saquon is, is a – it's like they want him to be Christian McCaffrey, but he's really not. Like, he doesn't really get the targets that McCaffrey gets out of the backfield. doesn't really have the same hands. doesn't have the ability in the backfield. Um, but I think the Giants want him to be CMC, and he's just not. And even CFC, like you said, he's hurt. He hasn't really made a big impact in Carolina this year. But if he's year, not so CMC, who just, is he? Because he's not Derrick Henry, clearly. He's not yeah. a back that can even – Delvin Cook. Br- yeah. yeah. I don't know what he is, man. What he is was, is he's a mistake at this point. He's not worth the money, point. and he's not worth a, a number two overall. <laughs> yeah. you got. I think you gotta, you got to exactly. punt and move on. There's ex- expectations that Dave Gettleman is not going to return for next season, says Ian Rappaport. You know, we don't need to get into the do you keep Joe Judge with a new GM thing. I just wish the Patriots stunk a little bit more so that I could start the rumor that Bill Belichick is going to come back to the Giants. That's what I want. Yeah, we kind of did that a couple that years ago. That was last ago. year. I wanted, I wanted Belichick as the GM. It would have yeah. been awesome. Yeah, it would have been. They need to go outside the, the organization. I think that's the thing. They need to stop with the Giants way and stop with the, you know, this is how we do things around here. Like, the way they've done things, yes, it yielded two Super Bowls, but every other year – without those Super Bowls in the 2000s, have been kind of bad years. I mean, they haven't been great. They've been – I think – are they worse than the Jets? I they're can't remember in the last, either. like, five years. Okay, yeah, they're, they're like it's, – it's them and the Jets. Like, they need, clearly need to go in a different direction. But there's there's going to be the the big questions, you know, does Judge stay? Does Jones stay? What do they do? Um, and I think with a GM coming in from outside the organization, maybe that helps. Like, get some fresh eyes, a guy that hasn't had to worry about Daniel Jones every year, hasn't had to worry about Saquon Barkley, you know. Maybe he wants to go another direction at head coach. Because to me, Joe Judge, take him or leave him. Like, he hasn't shown me anything to say, oh, you have to keep this guy. But he hasn't necessarily done everything to be like, okay, you have to fire this guy. Like, either keep take him or leave him. Yeah, you want to keep some consistency. But if the new GM wants another guy, go a different direction. I just don't know who you're bringing in if not Joe Judge. Like, there's no real great options out there in, in my eyes. I mean, I guess you can go air. Yeah. You know, enemy has been a hot commodity for a while. He'd be kind of nice to see what he can do with some pieces. Uh, in terms of the quarterback play, I mean, if not Daniel Jones. Brian Dable, baby. Bring in Dable. Hire him from Buffalo. He's a guy that worked in the Patriots organization for years. He's ran a great offense in Buffalo. Like, at least there's the possibility of, of having a fun offense. Yeah, but I don't even know who your quarterback is next year. Is Daniel Jones getting a fourth year? Is I don't know. I Is a new quarterback yeah, and a new GM, that's a whole a other coach and GM going to want to take on Daniel Jones? I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's proven he can be a good guy. Well, I think if they think they can land a Wilson or Rodgers or Watson, then you probably move on. But like, I'm not drafting Kenny Pickett. Like, I think Daniel Jones is is better than the quarterbacks in this upcoming class. At least I agree. I think maybe you trade a first this year, a first next year, and Daniel Jones to Seattle for Russell Wilson, and you and you make a move because this defense is good enough to win a title at this point. You know, in my eyes, they've got better weapons than Seattle does at this point, and. Maybe you can keep you know a pick or two to get an offensive you know some offensive line help, and you run it back. You give Barkley his fifth year. Maybe you give him a sixth or seventh too, and you just hope that that's enough. Because if you add Russell Wilson to this team, I do think you're a playoff team because I think he fixes all the mistakes around him that Daniel Jones just can't do. I think healthy Russell Wilson, yes, 
post broken finger, Russell Wilson probably not because he's been kind of rough. But he shouldn't be playing right now. Yeah. He should be resting at home with his lovely <laughs> wife Sierra. That's right, he should. But he had the greatest comeback of all time uh, from that finger injury. People forget, and he's been terrible. Yeah, he's horrible. And the Seahawks stink. And friendly reminder, Matt, uh, just before we uh, we have to go briefly, is that the Jets have the Seahawks pick. Just so everyone knows, I want everyone to know that the Jets have control of Seattle's first round pick. And the Seattle and don't forget the Seahawks. And the don't Jets forget Luke. The same record. Don't forget the that trade was the best trade that's ever happened in the NFL history. That's right. Joe Douglas completely fleeced Seattle with that trade. Look, it was the best a, trade in the history of the world. It was an awesome trade, and Joe Douglas did a great job. It's sad. That's that's all Jets fans have to hang their hat on right now. It's all I see. Can can we chill with it though? It's literally a weekly occurrence. Yeah, that we talk every about week. See, like, we got to stop. It comes back up. We got we got to bear it. We got to stop with this. Well, after this year, find a new. Slant. Is this the last year with the first round, or they have another one after? I think this is the first year. Last year they got Vera, Vera Tucker. Okay, so this will be it, and then we can finally bury that. But good for good for the Jets. They have the pick. Yeah, they they always win the off season, never the actual season. That's right. That's right. With that, Luke, that's all the time we've got. We'll see the Giants take on Miami next weekend. We'll maybe touch on them a little bit in our picks on Thursday. Again, we both embarrassed ourselves this past week, but we didn't have a show, so we couldn't really think through our picks. This coming week, Thursday, you'll see our picks. We'll do better, we promise. And maybe this will be the week that I jump over and leapfrog one Luke Owens. Thank you guys for listening to the Wally and Owens Show, and we'll catch you same time, same place on your podcast feed.